1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you, Lord. As we've worshiped you already this morning, Lord, you're the only one who can. You are so great and mighty. We thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for redeeming people, Lord, and filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the hope you've given us, the promises that are sure. Lord, we commit these next few minutes to you, Lord. Help our minds not to wander, but help us to see and hear from you and your word, Lord, as you look to mature us and grow us and challenge us in your perfect ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I don't know, what was your favorite movie as a kid, huh? Maybe we shouldn't say some of them. (laughs) One of my favorite movies as a kid was Fox and the Hound. And I watched that one. Boy, I loved that movie. Um, There was a hunter by the name of Amos, and he would set traps trying to catch foxes. And Todd was the fox. And he was the central figure in the story, Fox and Copper. Copper became a hunting dog later on. But that relationship had some tension for a while and it resolved, it was okay. But Todd, oftentimes, <clears throat> he, would, he would sniff out or he would know or he would see, he would recognize the traps ahead of time. Or even if he didn't recognize the traps ahead of time, he had enough agility and athleticism to jump the traps or somehow find his way out. And th- Todd, was, Todd was a fortunate one. Many animals are oblivious to, they're naive, They're attracted toward the trap. Sometimes there's enticing bait that allures them. Uh, For example, this fish with this worm. Their eyes see it as something they don't have. Their appetite says it would taste good. Their mind identifies it as something exciting and fulfilling and life-giving. And all their buddies say, first one to it gets it. But by definition, bait is Deceptive, purposefully designed, purposefully disguising the trap, covering the inherent danger. Uh, If you're a fisherman, fishermen tell me, they say as a fish gets older, a lot of times it gets wiser and it knows, it it seems to be not as quick to take take a hook. It sees through the trickery, it'll identify the deception, it'll be cautious, live to swim another day. We can, this is fun to see in the animal kingdom, but it's kind of difficult and kind of blurry when it comes to ourselves and the traps that befall us yeah. as humans. And yet, as humans, we're not immune. We can just as easily fall prey in this fallen world, a world of traps and bait which play on our desires and deceive our very best logic. At the beginning of summer, which is where we're at today, 
it's, a, it's an especially um, vulnerable time for many. In fact, if you look at um, addicts of all kinds, summer oftentimes is, it, it is a trap. And because you've been cooped up, you've had some good boundaries in place throughout the winter time, uh, but all of a sudden the weather's warm and, um, and you've been cooped up for so long and there's freedom, it's time to run wild. Many temptations are stronger. Church, take special care to avoid the traps that will be set for you in the next three months. Mm-hmm. Summer is awesome, but beware of the traps of summer. Three enemies to blame for these traps, Satan. Satan loves for people to think that he does not exist, right? That's the number one, if he can make people think he doesn't exist, and he's doing a good job of that in public academia, even in our seminaries. Meanwhile, he prowls around as a roaring lion, seeking whomever he may devour. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He uses lies, father of lies, deception. Enemy number two is the worldly system, which is under his temporary domain. It's ordered in such a way so as to deceive us, condemn us, lure us with things that promise fulfillment but end in destruction. Enemy number three is our own misaligned hearts. People say, follow your heart. Don't do that. Your heart is deceitful above all else, the Bible says. It'll lead us to one trap after another. Set us up. And it's uh, to blame. The good news is that we, like Todd, the fox, can recognize and avoid the enemy's traps, the traps of life. God does not leave us in the dark. Jesus is the light of the world. He has power over sin. He exposes it. He has authority over Satan. And when we walk according to his spirit, we overcome our own stupidity. God has given us clear and concise instruction to be able to recognize and avoid the traps of Satan. We win because we're with Jesus and he is with us. So number one on your outline today, if you're following, number one, do not take the bait. Verse 15 again, I'll read it. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. The Greek word that's used there for love, it says, do not love, do not agapeo, do not agape. That, that specific word that's used is one of preferential, preeminent, preeminence, an unconditional aspect to it, esteeming above all else. It's the type of love that is most important, most esteemed. Don't love the world and the things of this world too much. Not saying, so, so this verse is not saying it's not wrong to enjoy a good meal, intimacy with your spouse, a vacation with your family, to enjoy nature, not wrong to make money, not wrong to work out in the gym. No, but it is saying do not set your heart on these things. Do not elevate to a level of worship the things of this world. Psalm 62:10b, the end of the verse says, "If your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. If your wealth increases, great. Don't make it the center of your life. 
Do not prioritize the temporal above the eternal. And we all say, yes, that's good. And yet, 95% of the time, we're thinking about thoughts about the temporal. How can I make enough? How can I provide enough? How about this relationship, that, so forth? Don't worry, God will help us. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. Do not love, do not prioritize, do not love this world. World is cosmos in the Greek. Cosmos, a system of this world and or its inhabitants. The affairs of this world. The same word is actually used, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But the context of that is God so loved the inhabitants of the world or love the world as it will be once he redeems it. He loves, he has a passion and a care for the people that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So context matters. Here the context in 1 John 2, the verse that we're looking at, is speaking about the carnality that exists in the present world system. For contextual clarity, later on in this book, actually 1 John 5, 19, he sheds light on this. He says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What does the world under the sway of the wicked one look like? Looks like bait. It's not built on truth, but it's built on lies. Not the worship of God, but rebellion. A system doesn't lead to health and life, but to death and destruction. False promises, deception, lies, temptations that guarantee happiness and guarantee fulfillment, but instead lead to emptiness and disease and decay and death, physically, spiritually. Those who embrace the world and its de facto system do not have the love of the Father in them. If a person prioritizes the worldly system, they will cling tightly to their life, demand their rights, they'll be filled with greed and mistrust and shame and guilt, condemnation, bitterness, hate, evil connivings, If a person prioritizes the kingdom of God, they will cling tightly to Jesus, surrendering their rights, and they'll be filled with love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? Every person gives gives themselves to one of these two systems, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he said, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate one and you'll love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. If Jesus is Lord of your life, he'll begin to clean house in your life. Selfishness and greed and pride, they can't cohabitate very well because the Holy Spirit convicts you about it and encourages you 
to put to death those things, to push them out on a daily basis. However, if the world is, is what's the center and the priority of your life, if you love the world with preeminence, unconditionally, then it's things, and it's things, then it will attempt to distract you from and push you away from the things of God, isolate you from the truth of God. Listen, it's, it's difficult to be selfish and generous at the same time. It's hard to lay your, down, your life down for other people when you are preoccupied with self-comfort. What does light have in common with darkness? Nothing. We cannot prioritize the worship of pleasure and materialism and self and prioritize the worship of God at the same time because one takes the back seat. They push against one another. Paul tells us, um, Galatians 6, 8, he says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, if that's all you're living for, they will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from that spirit, from the spirit. All right. So, uh, point number two on your notes, the three traps of life. There are only three traps in life. Can you believe that? Lots of different types of bait are used on, on these. But there's only three strategies that are employed against us. You're saying, how can you say that? The Bible tells us that. We'll, we'll look at it in just a second. With summer at the doorstep, um, I encourage you guys to take some notes to write down, especially when there's uh, scripture references, to write those down for your own study at a later time. Only three things, only three traps. They usually work in tandem in some manner. They can take on different shapes and forms, but it's always the same strategies, as old as the earth itself. In fact, as old as the earth itself, Adam and Eve were given a perfect world. They were given freedom and authority to rule it, but they stumbled at the three, the three traps. Genesis 3, 6. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And we can unpack that. But essentially, there's three things going on. Something that would be pleasurable, something that they did not have, and something that would make them self-sufficient or God. Once you discover the three types of traps, you've won half the battle. Once you understand who the enemy is and what his strategies are, you've, you're already halfway there. It is when we don't know who the enemy is or where the traps lie that we're most vulnerable. Number one, the first trap, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. First part of verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. That's called hedonism. The worship of pleasure. Examples of hedonism, worship of pleasure is gluttony, substance abuse, sexual immorality, laziness. And here, here's the disclaimer for this one. We all have basic needs, food, water, shelter, clothing. But the world system attempts to 
overindulge us. Not just to eat, but to overeat or to eat the wrong things. The world system looks to justify our unhealthy desires and to fulfill natural desires with counterfeit deposits. It's the craving for physical pleasure. It causes people to do irrational things. My best friend growing up spent years in jail, six years in jail. While I was in college and going through college, he spent six years in jail because of the love of pleasure caused him to do some irrational things. We want to feel good. No, we want to feel great. Do we not? We all want to feel good. We want to feel great. We want to do what we want to do because we want to do what we want to do because we want to feel great. Last day of school um, for my kids was Tuesday. And so the next day, one of my kids woke up thinking, I don't have any responsibilities ever again. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to feel great today with all of the physical pleasures that I can have with Legos and cars and so forth. And so it was a tense day in trying to have some routine or normal chores happen within the house. Why do people use drugs, get drunk, look at porn? Why do people overeat, oversleep? Why do people procrastinate? Because it's easy to do and it offers immediate, though temporal, gratification. The craving for pleasure seems inconsequential. It can seem like it won't hurt anyone. It can seem innocent enough. It seems exciting. It seems promising. It seems like an escape. It seems like an open door, but it's a trap door. Proverbs 23, 31 through 32. Don't gaze at wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how it smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. First Peter 2.11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. How do we get caught up? Why do we get caught up in the trap of physical pleasure? Because our desires are not honest or accurate. Our cravings are not reliable. We're messed up. We're all messed up. All of us. Our desires are unreliable. They tell us that we need something that we do not need. They tell us that we deserve something that is unhealthy, something that will actually kill us. The pleasure center of the brain, the limbic system, it runs on dopamine, not reason which is why there's a dangerous disconnect. It's the part of you, the fight, fight or flight. You're walking down a path on a trail and, there's a, and, and all of a sudden there's a stick in your path and you jump away from it because your prefrontal cortex, the part that actually has discernment and decision-making, hasn't had a chance to engage yet, but your limbic system says, snake, and jumps away. It's full of emotion. It's irrational, but that's what it is. It's passion, it's desire, that's your limbic system. And kids that grow up, your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed till you're about 25 years of age. So they think they know everything, 
and everything makes sense, but they don't even have this yet. They're running on limbic feelings. And a lot of us as adults, we continue to run on the limbic system instead of the prefrontal cortex. And that's sad. We get in trouble. My kids, man, they would eat candy for every meal and they would die without mom and dad. We had this discussion at the table and they said, well then why can't, why can't vegetables taste like candy and candy taste like vegetables? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I do know this, our desires can change. Scientifically, the neurons that fire together, wire together, our brains can, can change, our desires can change. They can change to desire the things of God or to desire things contrary to God, too. We don't have to be enslaved to improper desires our whole life. We can grow in our intelligence. A level of intelligence can be restored to us that we haven't had or that was lost. We might still feel it in the flesh. There's still temptations, but the saner parts of us can realize truth can grow in understanding, begin to desire good things. Here's the antidote to the cravings of physical pleasure. Antidote is by the Spirit of God and His truth and His Word. He has lots of principles for us, lots of help for us. Just a few of them that we'll talk about today, discernment, self-control, accountability, With God's help, we can recognize when we're getting close to the line of indulgence, the line of compromise. We can become more aware of the trap well in advance. We can become honest about our struggles. We begin to understand when and where we are most vulnerable. Maybe when we're tired or maybe when we're alone or overstressed or bored, that's when we're most susceptible. We learn to build and embrace healthy guardrails for our lives, guardrails and boundaries that keep us safe, that help us to thrive. With God's help, I, don't need to, I do not need to submit to every fleshly impulse. I'm not an animal without self-control, but rather God himself helps me reprogram my mind through his word and by his spirit, through fellowship with other believers. Definitely a process, and it's ongoing, and we never arrive. It's day to day. Philippians 4.8, Paul's telling people how to overcome the cravings of physical pleasure, and he says, think on things. Brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We can grow in grace and knowledge. We can sow good things into our minds and into our lives. We can make spiritual provision for ourselves, good friends instead of bad ones. We can have a meal plan. We can schedule things. We can plan, put guards up and arrange our rooms and and our houses and manners that we don't let garbage into our eyes, into our ears, into our brains. Uh, We're not too idle. If we find ourselves close to a trap, we can call on a brother or sister in the Lord to pray for us and to remind us of God's truths, 
The Lord instructs us to be accountable to other trusted believers. James 5.16 instructs us to nurture Christian fellowship, encourage one another. It's like, I, I do real estate. The devil, the devil likes to sell you a house without allowing for an inspection and without allowing you to know the interest rate. That's what he does. The craving for physical pleasure. But when we become more aware of the big picture, the allurement is not so enticing I want to eat the right type of food on the plate, not the stale cheese in the mousetrap. Right? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 2.11. Second portion of that verse. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Right. We can see that trap. Yeah. We know this is that trap. And being aware of it is half the battle. 1 Corinthians 9.27 Here's the other half. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul was talking about having the right guardrails, having the right support systems, and continuing that on a daily basis, relying on the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm glad the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. We fall down and he helps us up. And he keeps helping us become more like Jesus one day at a time. The funny thing is, when we're actually trusting the Lord and we're doing things God's way, our body actually enjoys life more when the spirit is in control. If you let your body have uncontrolled authority, your passions, it'll act like an animal. Life will be filled with unnecessary trouble and pain. But you'll have the right amount of things in the right Amounts and at the right times when you're led by the Spirit. Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's important for us to have more spiritual input into our body. More spiritual input than fleshly input. One more verse for that section. Ephesians 4.22, Paul says... Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lusts and deceptions. And with God's help, yeah. one day at a time, it's possible to, to have victory, to see victories. The next trap, number two. If you're not careful, number two will get you. It's a craving for everything we see. Craving for everything we see. That's called materialism. The worship of possessions, things, stuff, money. Here's the disclaimer for this one. It's not wrong to desire cool things. It's not wrong to work toward goals, to be productive, to create, to earn, to plan, to grow. It's biblical to plan, to work hard, to show diligence, to obtain in, in many, many, um, at many times. There are right motivations for acquisition to provide for one's family, to be a blessing to others, even to enjoy the fruit of your labor. But the trap line is crossed when we set our hearts upon acquisition of material things. When we esteem the acquisition of things above all else. Examples, it reveals itself through envy, covetousness, 
hoarding, that can cause people to do irrational things also. Why? There's a false belief that more will make us happy or secure safety for us. A craving for everything we see involves trying to find happiness or stability in something you don't have. It's falling for the lie that you're missing out, that your life is incomplete without fill in the blank, a car, a house, a job, a spouse, a newer car, a different spouse, a bigger house, more money. More is better. Having what isn't yours, what doesn't belong to you, would solve your discontentment. Did Adam and Eve need to eat of that tree when there were thousands of trees? Thousands and thousands of trees with grapefruit. Did King David need Bathsheba? No, he did not. Never quite satisfied, never quite enough, never content. Listen to this. Listen to this part. This trap, the craving of the eye, is the ultimate Killjoy. Killjoy. It'll rob you of joy, of experiencing the joy of the here and the now, the present. A person cannot enjoy the present, the blessings around them, because they're tormented by the thoughts of the things which they do not yet possess. Third world countries would love to have what we have. 10% of the world's population lives on less than $1.90 per day. But we're unhappy because our gaming council is not the newest, or our phone is last year's generation, so forth, for some people. If one looks for a reason not to be happy, they will always find one. If someone looks for a reason to be happy, they will always find one. Cravings of the eye cause us to forget what God has done and miss what he is doing. We miss it. Church, do not miss the blessing, the opportunities, and the mission that God has placed before you this summer because we're thinking or wishing or wanting something that we don't have. Here's the antidote for it. Contentment, generosity, prayer. Should have written this one here. Thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. There's a song from the 1950s entitled, Count Your Blessings. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep. And I fall asleep counting my blessings. When my bankroll is getting small, I think of when I had none at all. And I fall asleep counting my blessings. It's hard to be envious of others when you are intentionally identifying your blessings and thanking God for them. Paul says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, he says, don't love money. Don't agapeo. Don't prioritize it with preeminency. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have all that I need. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, yet true godliness with contentment is, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation, and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Godliness with contentment is great gain. One more important antidote here, and that's generosity. Generosity will keep a person safe from the trap of covetousness. One cannot steal and use others or hoard when they are freely giving to others. People who tithe regularly or give are so happy that they do. People who do not tithe or give regularly have a difficult time with it. Hold loosely to the things of this world and use them for the betterment of others. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave. We are to be like our father. Very generous, not stingy. In fact, our generosity is proof of our salvation. Look at this, Philemon 1.6. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Generosity is an antidote to the cravings of the eye. The third trap of life, number three, last part of verse 16, and pride in our achievements and possessions. That's the third trap. The original version says the pride of life. Maybe write that down, pride of life. It's a preoccupation with self. It doesn't matter if it's a negative self-image or if it's an inflated self-image. It is self-worship. It's caring too much about what other people think. It's caring too much about our position, our status, our image, our feelings. We're preoccupied with ourself. Examples are seen in self-promotion, in those who are overly self-conscious, That's pride. Entitlement mentality, people concerned with their status, their position. Here's the disclaimer for this one. Certainly, there's a healthy type of pride that one should, um, and one should, one that should be praised, particularly a pride in belonging to God, in being forgiven of sin, in having purpose for your life that's given to you by God. Those things are things to be proud about. We should take pride in how we live for the Lord, in working hard, in doing our best, in being faithful, responsible, having integrity. We should be proud about things that we do for the Lord. We should be proud about that and living how he wants us to live. Take pride in that. But we cross the trap line 
When we begin to compare our wit and intelligence and athleticism and beauty and popularity and position to others in a way that increases or decreases our self-worth. And people have done very irrational things because they got caught in the pride trap. King Nebuchadnezzar, look at this kingdom that I have built by my own power. King Hezekiah in the Bible showing off all of his treasuries to foreign dignitaries who later came and took captive the nation of Israel. It will be seen in the Antichrist who exalts himself above God. He'll sit on the throne in the temple in Jerusalem near the, in the near future. He'll claim to be God. The pride of life trap is also seen on the other end of the stick. Joseph's brothers who were put off by the favoritism that they thought that Joseph received from his father. It's seen in King Saul who is paranoid about David, always worried that the people liked David more than himself. It's seen in the Pharisees of Jesus' day who crucified the Christ because of their jealousy of him. This pride thing, why? We want to be worshipped. We want to be idolized. We want recognition. We ultimately want complete control. The pride of life trap catches a person in two ways. It traps us when we esteem ourselves inherently more valuable than others. Begin to think that we're inherently superior. Do not recognize the help that we've been given, the support that we've received, the opportunities that we've been afforded. Become inflated with false confidence, false sense of strength and self-reliance. The result is that we lose sight of our need for God. We kind of get close to the top and we have a lot of comfort in a lot of other things. And the pride of life trap also gets us when we esteem ourselves as less valuable than others. We become offended when we sense that someone has overlooked us, not appreciated us as they should have. They've passed over us for promotion. We feel threatened by someone with more skill or better social skills or better speaking skills. When someone like that enters the room, we resent someone for not asking our opinion or acknowledging our knowledge or our work or our experience. And that can cause us to blame God and isolate ourselves from others, soak in self-pity. The antidote is humility, praise, thanks, obedience, remembering who we belong to, giving glory to God. Philippians 3, 3 through 8. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Humbling ourselves and being obedient to the Lord are antidotes. Sacrifice is an antidote. Serving is an antidote against 
humility, giving thanks to God, as in the prior point, giving thanks to God, acknowledging where our help comes from, is an antidote. Serving Christ, getting dirty for Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 5b through 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Indeed, Jesus has the name above all names. He was obedient, completely obedient to the Father. We can humble ourselves, or we can receive humbling. Staying on mission, if you have big muscles, it's not so you can stare in the mirror. Go help someone who's unable to lift anything. If you're tall, don't look down on everyone. Rather, give little kids rides on your shoulders and change the light bulbs for the glory of God. If you have surplus profit, it's not for 12 separate mansions on seven different continents. It's to fuel and build the kingdom of God. Obeying the Lord. And finally, verse 16 concludes with, these are not from the Father. The cravings of physical pleasure, the craving of the eye, and the pride of life, these are not from the Father, but they're from this world. Those are the three traps. Different types of bait, but it's always one of those three that take us down. I'm not going to read it, but James 4, 1 through 10, I would write that down. James 4, 1 through 10, it's a great summary, and it clarifies each of these three traps very well. Number three, Roman numeral three, true food leads to true life. Don't take the bait that's in the trap. Not good. The true food, <laughs> how do you say that? <laughs> True food leads to true life. And this world, verse 17, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But everyone, anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Temporal versus eternal. Temporal versus eternal. Great phrase to keep in the front of our mind. Where are we investing? What are we living for? What is our heart set upon? Whose kingdom do you stand with? Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's not complicated to please God. You put your faith in his son and you let him coach you through life. He's a good shepherd. 1 John 3, this is the same book, 1 John, just the next chapter over, he says, and this is his commandment, 1 John 3, 23. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. We place our faith in Jesus. We begin to live for him, learning as we go what pleases him, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. There's a song goes, it's you I live for every day. It's you I live for. And it just keeps saying that. Every day, it's you I live for every day. Yeah. Dear Lord, you have set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus, you walked into the devil's snare for us and you broke it in pieces. We have victory through you and we have your forgiveness by what you accomplished in history and on the cross outside of Jerusalem. 
Lord, we thank you for making us aware this morning of the devil's schemes. We thank you for exposing the traps of this world and the counterfeit currencies that it offers. I thank you, Lord, that you've made us overcomers by your spirit, that we're victors by your grace. Thank you that you're making us more and more like Jesus, that you're renewing our spirit day by day. I thank you, God, that you are for us and not against us, that you're so powerful and great, and that you fulfill us truly in ways that fulfill. And you're a God of your word. We look to you, Lord, as this world just spins and goes every which direction, Lord. We know you're coming back someday. Judge the living and the dead. And so we keep our eyes on you, Jesus. If everyone turns away, Lord, if, if none go with you, still I will follow. Lord, we submit ourselves to you and you alone, Jesus. To you, God, our Father. To you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in our life, Lord. We commit ourselves to you and we expect the greater reward. In Jesus' name, amen.